clubhouse. He's not scared. It's you who's making him scared. I begged you not to bring us here. I told you that this place was evil. I told you he was evil. And now we're all evil. This place isn't evil. The people who tried to take it from us were evil. And we're not evil for defending it. I hate you. This is Steph. This is Sheila. <laughs> and this is the Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone Season 4, Episode 3. And today we have some very special guests with us. Yes, we do. We have Caroline. This is me, Caroline. And Paul. <laughs> this is me, Paul. From Pod Clubhouse. These are our producers, our editors, our commanders in chief, our everything that is everything to us about the show and podcasting. So we are coming to you live from the Pod Clubhouse studio in Texas. I'm visiting here today, and awesome. uh, we're getting to do this all together. So we did something really special, which we don't always get to do. We watched this episode all together as a foursome, and we decided to supersize this episode and podcast together. Hey, guys, how's it going? Fantastic. I can't wait to talk about Yellowstone with you guys, because you guys are you know, leading the way in the podcast world on this topic, for oh sure. Wow. But <laughs> every episode that I edit for you guys, I'm like, ah. Oh, I had something to say about that. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second. My headphones are getting like smaller on my head. What's going on here? <laughs> I do feel like we always have like a conversation after. I'll be like editing you guys as well. And I'll be like, I'll be like, oh man, I love this point they're making. I like so want to make this joke or whatever. And then we don't have an opportunity to do that. So I'm glad we get to sit in with you guys. I love podcasting with you guys. Y'all have a, always have a lot of really funny comments and add a lot of fun to it. So I'm excited. I am so excited. So not only do we have some supersized guests here with us today with lots of insight and good thoughts that we were throwing around as we were watching this episode, we also have an interview for you today. That's right. With Kelsey Asbile that was done as part of the virtual press day uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we got five whole minutes. Yeah. <laughs> with her and we got some some good questions in uh our podcast partner mike was able to secure this interview and he ran that interview for us so we're very grateful that we got the time and we're looking forward to some more yeah hopefully so what do we have on tap today we have a lot to cover we have a there's a lot in this episode. This fan theory that we wanted to talk about yes. that just kind of blew my mind. I'm scrolling through Facebook. I love being on all the fan pages. TikTok is a really fun place to find some interesting Yellowstone uh, information. <laughs> Twitter and Facebook, all these things. So I was scrolling along and then I read this comment that is suggesting that Casey is actually dead and all of his interactions on the show in episode one 
and or two or sorry episode two um are like john's premonition like he is interacting with his son who has passed that just blew my mind like oh no absolutely not cannot be true but then it's like okay let's think about it in episode two where where was casey and who interacted with him so what do you think episode one i think was when this fan theory sort of bubbled up there was the interaction where Kate, we first saw Casey sort of after his gunshot wounds That's and right. he was walking in the sniper gear. He was talking to John. Beth was on the stoop, but not paying him any mind like he wasn't even there. I think that gave some fuel to this fire. And then in episode two, he really didn't have much interaction with anyone other than John. Right. And you and I had talked about at episode two before we sort of like knew about this fan theory. Their relationship seemed so much more progressed in Mm a mature way they were what we were saying like Casey was kind of like like on John's side and it was it was a lot easier than it had been it was very combative prior so that could give some credence to that Mm -hmm. but this episode kind of clears up well agreed I just thought that was very interesting theory I didn't know if they were gonna go like all six cents Right. I I didn't think so because I didn't think that the writers and producers of the show could really pull it like pull that in because that's not who they are that's not who the show is right this show is based in reality yeah, it's not a show that we're gonna be trying to get ratings by c- bringing someone back from the dead and all like lee's not gonna show up it's just right. not gonna happen <laughs> they're not doing a lost and it, plot line it, here. exactly so uh, the fact that i'm like no it's not possible they're not gonna be premonitions and and dead people in this show i do like the fact that the the fans are that engaged that they're thinking along yeah, all these different sure. lines and it just goes a long way to show like how dedicated this fan base really is. Caroline Paul, did you hear about this fan theory at all or was it just more in conversations with us? I did hear about it and the thing that I think actually gives it any support in any fan theories going forward is that Beth keeps dangling this idea of like, we can't tell you all that's happened yet. And it oh. makes it seem like, oh, I didn't even think well, of that. like what else? Like, right. because even as audience members, I mean, we can kind of pretend like we know what all the fallout is, but it would be kind of, I don't know, not very fun to have this storyline where you continuously have Beth say, when you're ready, I'm going to tell you all this stuff that happened. If the audience already knows in episode two everything that happened. Right. So it implies there's another shoe that's going to drop here. And and I appreciate that Casey was like a guest. I think this episode for us, you know, proves that this is not a, <laughs> a viable idea. Correct. But there's got to be something out there that is a little unknown or is going to be a surprise or else they're really like overusing that line with Beth. Right. Yeah, I think this theory is definitely proven out to be not a thing. But it's, dis- it's debunked, right? It's debunked. debunked. It's debunked yeah, that's, here. That's, that's, a, that's a good line. Uh, but I think your idea, Caroline, about Beth's still leaving something out there. Does it feel I mean, like it where she's just like, I can't tell you yet? And you're like, what? There are a couple of things that are being left not completely unsaid, but left to just like one sentence and you got to get it or you miss it. Like Mm -hmm. in the previous episode, they said something to the effect of that. What happens at the beginning of this episode where they go and execute all these warrants with extreme prejudice, (laughs) Um, but that in doing so they were going to be kind of like Godfather style, settle all the family's business uh, kind of kind of thing. Yeah, Jamie was going to have to, either he was going to approve those warrants right. and they'd know where he stands, where he where he stands mm-hmm. or not. And that is not explicitly laid out in this episode, except 
they're executing the warrants. So right. you're, I think you're supposed to assume, you know, Jamie may not be invited to Christmas dinner this year, but at least he still knows where his bread is buttered when it comes down to it. <laughs> or they just... <laughs> All right. Active. They might have just done it. They still have his rubber stamp from when he was running the ring. I'd rather, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission kind of thing. So That's definitely the Dutton. That's right. <laughs> the way. mantra, like sure. if I've learned anything over three seasons and three episodes. Right. You don't that... reroute rivers by asking permission. Right, exactly. Right. It's like, oops, sorry, can't undo it. Um, but I encourage fans to like keep thinking about this. Like, why are they having Beth say that? What is it that we're missing? What is it? Who is unaccounted for? What other business have we not paid attention to that's dangling somewhere? She seems to be carrying this load and she's just like, when you're healthy enough, I'll tell you. So like, I hope listeners like write into Steph and Sheila, tell them like more ideas. Like, what is it? What, what is she trying to hold back on? Well, that being said, Steph's on the right track here is like the character of the show is if we do start getting into shamanism and stuff like that, <laughs> it, it yeah, will have jumped way. the shark or uh, whatever yeah. they have in Montana. Buffalo. <laughs> Buffalo. We're going to jump the bikes and cattle. We're going to jump the cattle here. Well, that's what they, uh, we were talking about last time. I was like, remember how these shows, like Grey's Anatomy or whatever, they come up with a musical episode? Like, Yellowstone uh, <laughs> comes out with a musical. Like, I think I might be out. Around, like, I'm like, out. Put down the headphones and walk rip, away. No. Like, that's just <laughs> not going to happen. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Listen, we, we've got Rip smiling this season more so than he has in, you know, 30 prior episodes. So I definitely want to keep that happening. Yeah. But if he starts tap dancing, I think yeah, I might be done. I'm not going to have it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll accept a two-step from him. But that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. But he's got to hold the belt buckle. That. He's got to yeah. hold the belt buckle. And, you know, if he deviates, I'm out. I'm out. I appreciate it. two-step out of him. I'm, co- I'm good for that. So, Paul, you mentioned this opening scene. And I think you calling it Godfather-esque is... It's pretty much on the money. What do you think, Steph? Yeah, that's exactly what we were going to had discussed. It's just it's just so ominous and... It's act- so well executed. Yes. Well coordinated. And John sitting by the fire just like with his drink in his hand. Like, ugh. When I talk yeah. about it, I'm, okay. I'm referring to the, the settling of family business at the end of Godfather 1 when Michael has sent guys out to kill everybody that's ever disagreed with him. Basically, <laughs> yes. And I think that's similar to what John is executing through Casey here. So what I appreciate about these scenes, and I know I know for Paul, he's like all about the bloodshed and the whatnot, all the, all the shooting up <laughs> and all the... Yeah, I mean, They're well done scenes. He's yes. for that. But I appreciated that slow, methodical music that they're playing, that every day, just plunking along the guitar. John is so chill. He is not... He's not shaken by the whole thing. He's just sitting there having his drink. It's that mix of like, this is so catastrophic and so ordinary. Like, it's just Dutton business, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that like, is like it's just what a created Wednesday. It. Yeah. And it just, it created this awesome tension of like, how is he being so cool? Like, you almost want to be like, is he aware all of this is happening? You know? But then you kind of know, like, no, he freaking knows. And, he can sit here and like smoke a cigarette or drink a drink and be completely cool. So I applaud them for a great use of music and creating that that just extra layer of, you know, they really don't give a shit. You know? How many of them are too. in the militia? About half as many as there were before. Oh, yes. <laughs> exactly. oh. There was a scene at the end of season three where Walker is used as bait 
to trap Wade Morrow, the guy who they want mm-hmm. the brand, they want to get the brand back from, and he was, you know, doing dirty deeds. Just doing deeds. the barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> the Bunkhouse Boys and Rip, they're all, like, laying in wait. And, like, I said to you when we podcasted that way back when, that I was like, that is, like, the sexiest scene mm. that they have done in a really long time because of just how it's choreographed. And I felt the same sort of love for this scene because they had the cop cars, like, all following behind this pickup, and then they all put the lights on and in unison and just the chase of it and just how the dance then happened the timing of it was so great it ripped doing some really awful things to this guy in a jeep and then john just sipping his drink coolly yeah. like to your point i was like fuck that's <laughs> well, and i appreciate it. so so part of that and we kind of alluded to that before with the with like a musical episode in a way, this is their dance, yes, right? Yes. Like, this is the choreographed dance of the Duttons, right? Correct. And so, while it wasn't a musical the way that we're kind of joking about it, it kind of was. It like, really was, We yes. watched them, like, work around each other and, like, do these moves that were actually really routine for them and also, like you said, incredibly sexy because when you see, I think especially men, work together in, like, a very, like, kind of... I don't know, flowing kind of fashion. Right. There's something about that that makes you feel like these are badass men. You like, know? There was this give like, and take that was naturally occurring in the scene between what Lloyd was doing outside the bar and what Rip was doing. And then you see Casey. It was just the way that they were cutting mm-hmm. back and forth. And then you just had like the, the reset button of John just sipping on his bourbon, crackling by Nothing the fire. Nothing cooler than Nothing. that, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was just this dance. So yeah, so maybe this was our musical episode. Maybe it was, Ooh, Steph. We didn't even okay. realize, but it's happening. Hi, wow. This kind of musical episode, I'm down for I could, I could be just down for Just don't want any tap dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. so this should really the body count as opposed to you know, <laughs> the musical number here. There you go. So what was also really fun to watch was this hustle and bustle around the ranch surrounding Taylor Sheridan, Travis, bringing all these fancy horses. He's assembled this team of luxury animals, I guess. <laughs> like, I mean, Speaking they're all like sexy, standing right? around drooling. I'm like, what? That's how I feel when I go downtown. I'm like, there's a G-Wagon, there's a Ferrari, there's a Corvette. <laughs> like, another G-Wagon, another G-Wagon. <laughs> and Curtis is like, what? <laughs> no, and those are some sexy animals. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not somebody who like is real wowed by like horse tricks, if you will. But like, I, like, I don't like seek out this necessarily. I'm not. But I, but when that horse would like run and stop on a dime, I was like, woof, like that's fucking sexy. <laughs> like that's really cool and like amazing that an animal can do that. Like the dirt flying? Mm-hmm. Never in my life did I think dirt flying was in any way entertaining. I was like, oh my God, can I, can I see that again? Yeah. It, it was it was really impressive what these animals could do. And, and I think they did such a great job of bringing in authentic cowboys and cowgirls to actually show what these animals could do. And I think it brings a lot of respect to the entire horse raising, you know, line of work. Yeah. So when you see it and you see how like just meticulous their work is Skilled and how and much pride, and, yeah. yeah, like you can really appreciate appreciate it. I, I think it's probably giving a respect to that line of work. I think that's what Taylor Sheridan is, what his work as a writer specifically is is trying to do. So that's why maybe he's inserted himself as the horse guy in this story arc, you know, but if you look at his body of work and if you look at the awards that he's been receiving, they are from things like Western preservation type film festivals and societies and that kind of stuff. And I I, I think that's where his heart is. 
I love that. There were some really fantastic lines during that whole part. I mean, when they ask if they could ride, and he's like, only race car drivers can the race cars. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was well-delivered and wow. He gave himself a pretty good line in the previous one with Teeter about, are you from north of the river yeah. or south? Yeah. That's Arkansas. Right? <laughs> Don't tell people you're from Texas because that is fucking Arkansas. <laughs> you know what? That felt good as Texans, though, because yeah. I'm not about teeters. So I was like, you know what? Call her out for that. I've already said that. I don't know if we claim her yet. We do. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, now, now we've got an official official from you know, the horse's mouth, yeah. so to speak, that she is definitely Arkansas. With the one-liners that were happening in the corral, this is the difference between like a $5,000 horse yes. and a $300,000 horse. So, I mean, like you're talking buku bucks. And Beth makes a comment, too. She goes, that's my inheritance out there spinning in circles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. So I don't know if she's really on board with John's plan uh, either. No. And I get the feeling that he didn't consult her. No. Um, which what do you guys think John's plan is for, for viewers who are watching and are like I don't know why we're buying horses I don't know what we're doing like what do you guys we gathering? just discussed that actually in, in the last episode so you guys haven't heard it yet because we, we haven't edited it yet yeah um, <laughs> ouch shade no I just it was literally like an hour ago how are this haven't done already I was saying the only thing that can sort of make sense in my mind is that the brands that you know and, and that are in your life a part of your daily in front of your face like the King Ranch I don't know anything about the King Ranch. I've lived in Texas my entire life. I've seen that logo everywhere. I've seen the trucks everywhere. I've had some, you know, the salesmen try to be, well, this is the King Ranch version. Like, that's been a part of my entire life, that name. And so I don't question whether the King Ranch is decent, or decent not. people or not. It's just, I, I'm happy to let the King Ranch stay where they are. So maybe the Duttons building this legacy around the Yellowstone and making it a household name adds credibility to them that they are good people or that they should have this land. Or I think he's just trying to sort of cover all the bases of like, who's all these people trying to take my land? But if I'm a trusted name, if I'm a, a familiar name, maybe they won't see me. I'll I hadn't just... thought of it that way. That I, I had I had seen it from the idea of building like brand recognition beyond yeah, same. Yeah. beyond the cattle. Yes. But I hadn't thought of it in terms of recognizing that there's some amount of a popularity contest going on mm-hmm. here and his BDE is only going to get him so far. <laughs> well, <laughs> and know? the reality is that John is not long for this world. Like right. we know that, right? So if John is the brand, then... that doesn't work. And Jamie and and the rest are yeah. not they're not there to pick up the slack at this point. So he has to make this about the Dutton Ranch. But I also want to like point out, like they've got to diversify, guys. I mean, yeah. they need other ways to bring in money. We've heard several times that the, the ranch itself is not financially doing great. Right. So they're going to have to bring in some other ways. And of course, rodeo has been this like very fascinating. It's like the danger way to make money. It's like this right. little weird little like you could go over there, but like you might break your back, and like we don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Hello, but, Jimmy. Right. But like, isn't it so much like it's being like kind of hung out it's there? Dangle. Like, it's- yeah. All the time, right? And they keep bringing, you know, Travis keeps coming back and he brought back even this episode, Cade McCutcheon. He was back Mm -hmm. in season two and he's a a very young rodeo rider. He makes a ton of money. So, you know, he's bringing in these legitimizing entities as well. And you said about the Cowboys and Cowgirls, like they all play themselves. They're legit 
riders and rodeo professionals, and this is their job. And I, I think, you know, by bringing that in too, the, the other theory that we had too was that John may not have a lot of faith left in his family mm-hmm. to see this through the finish line, just through losing Lee, losing Jamie, essentially, because now Jamie knows his his birthright and he's adopting that he's no longer a Dutton. Maybe he doesn't know if Beth is going to make it over the finish line, if Casey's going to make it over the finish line. Tate's having a lot of struggles. There may not be enough juice left in the Dutton tank to last much longer than John's time left on earth. So this might be another way, like, and, you know, bringing it back to Steph's point of legitimizing the brand so that this way the name continues because the King Ranch has been around since the 1800s. So they're here into the, you know, the 2021, right? So there's longevity beyond just the family. Mm-hmm. So we think that the two kind of play into each other, almost like dovetailing here. By bringing in the four sixes, it also like kind of reminds everyone that like the name recognition of different ranches, mm-hmm. the fact that everybody knows the four sixes and is like quick to be like, oh, I can tell you what kind of cowboys are there. I can tell you exactly what the atmosphere is there. Well, what would people say about the Dutton Ranch? Right. Would it be so like easily described? You know what the Duttons are doing. People are like, I don't know what the Duttons are doing. You know? yeah, like, yeah, ask Walker. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you He's know, got opinions. <laughs> yeah, so using that example, I, I think that that is, I think that's a great idea. And I hope that they manage to do that with the horses. Although, do you guys think that's going to be successful or is this a big waste of money? Well, we don't see how he's even having the money to fund this part of it but like they're still recovering from when they lost the cattle back in season two you know john even said back then like i'm not a rich man like my money is in a commodity mm-hmm. that has to be bought and sold and if i don't have that to buy and sell my money is gone so it might be fast money having secured travis and his line Reputation. of horses uh, i guess if he's funding it he can immediately start piling checks on his desk which so is what he promised yeah now it hasn't been made black and white clear in my mind how things wound up with the airport the duttons basically lost though right in episode two john and casey are having a little mud bath in like their <laughs> natural warm spring on their property they're talking that jamie leased the property to market equities for the airport lease, not sold, so that there's a revenue stream, mm-hmm. so the Duttons aren't completely screwed over. Casey, we said, was defending Jamie by saying that like he's not all bad. Like if he was really out to get you, he would have sold He would have yeah. gotten rid of okay. it. Okay, so that's what I was thinking. So an airport isn't going to lease for nothing, right? Right. <laughs> right. But it's not today. They're just. Yeah, but they got a, they're building. We know. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I think it goes back to the diversification here, peeps. Like we're yeah. getting some different ways that the Duttons can make some money, and hopefully that's going to help. Especially if, like you said, Beth, Casey, and Jamie are no longer people we can really trust. You know, we right. got to have something else going on. Well, I, uh, okay. I'm not yeah. saying they're not trustworthy. <laughs> no, trust I'm just with the future of the ranch. Yeah. Like, I mean, Casey's got some troubles in here, you guys, in this episode. That yeah. this is really yeah. going to throw him off track. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, if we go back to like the, what the map looked like, this essentially severs the ranch in half. The the west wing and the mm-hmm. east wing and like there's there's a definitive divide in the middle. You know, now they have to figure out how they're going to work without that. Once it's paved, it's paved. That's one of the things that that this season being so young, I don't know where to grade it in terms of like they've allowed the story to get very big from mm-hmm. where they started. And Mm -hmm. so they've started these various threads and with only three episodes and needing to focus on a certain amount of action so far, they haven't left a lot of time left over to address these various threads, you know, like we haven't seen John get to be a grandpa, which is one of the things that makes us 
feel that he's redeemable, <laughs> you know, and we haven't seen this stuff about the larger ranch management issues that have been bugging us constantly right. up until mm-hmm. this, this point, uh, man, it's just making me wonder, I hope that we do. Because right. this episode, we didn't really get a lot of that stuff either. Yeah. So last episode, I was a little harsh because I felt that there was there was not a lot of action. There was a lot of talking. It was mm-hmm. a lot of like plot points setting up. They've conditioned me that, you know, mm-hmm. Yellowstone has a ton of action. But I also understand that they need to move these plot points along. And there was actually, you know, in thinking about episode two, there was a lot of character development, like especially with like Beth and Rip and the introduction of this kid Carter. So that needs to happen, too. And that's where like I need to grow up a little when it comes yeah. to Yellowstone. Stone because like, like, but there was not an explosion. But you know what? I had the sexy car chase scene, so I, I'm good for a while now. This one had the yeah, yeah, um, the action. But yeah, yeah. with Beth and, the Beth and Rip and Carter stuff, will it at the end of the season feel like a diversion from the Tate and Monica and, right. and the pre-existing relationships that are hardly on solid ground? And then, right. <laughs> you know. Right. I, yeah. No, I feel you. You know how sometimes they do that where they'll bring in something and you're like, oh God, you know you're this person's only going to be here for like three right. episodes or something, but we just spent half a season on a kid who may or may not stick around for the remainder of it all. Guys, you know? that's kind of hard, man. <laughs> that's Here's kind of how I feel about Teeter, like having oh, so much teeter. screen time. Exactly. And then it's like, but why? I know, we gave her Teeter talk every episode. <laughs> why are we doing that? You know what though? I'm glad that they made Carter 14. I think that was like super duper smart yes. to make him so close to adulthood. Yeah. Because in just a couple seasons here, especially if they do any type of time jump between a season, he could be a full-grown yeah. Oh boy, yeah. right? Yeah. And like we got a whole thing going on there. Like they haven't really focused on it, but when they went in the first episode when Tate's running across the lawn to the bunkhouse, right? mm-hmm. it's clear he's grown like a foot. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. Yes. I like, he's he's so a big. man now. Yeah. He's so big. Last episode, I was saying that I think Jimmy's gonna be like the bridge for the four sixes, mm-hmm. right? The spin-off show that they've got, and Paul and I were Super proven, good call we were that. proven yeah. right in our theory there. So that you know, because when it was first suggested that Jimmy was heading out with Travis. I was like, well, Travis is headed down to Texas. So I'm like, oh, well, there's there's the hook with Jimmy. Super good. We thought that, you know, Jimmy this was John's sort of like last investment for him because he didn't know what else to do with him. Also, like, I just want to throw it out to you guys and see, like, where does Jimmy end up here? Like, I feel like he might be ripe for a rebellion. Hmm. He's gone back. He's not wearing his cowboy hat anymore. Like, there's some specific things that I saw. He was wearing a hoodie. He was wearing a hoodie, which is what he went back to, wearing his hoodie and his baseball cap, and he wears it backwards. And he kind of, like, has shunned the the ranching kind of garb that he was wearing before. He was, was, you know, he was wearing the leather stuff toward the end of season three. Jimmy's been such a focus of the show then like developing his character that I'm just like is he going to push back a little and I'm kind of seeing that with like him dressing in the baseball cap being afraid of being fired and then looking at Mia and like wondering where where is his life going right now and I just feel like these conditions are pretty ripe for some sort of like pushback so I wanted to get Mm. your your take on that who wants to jump in first Uh, this injury feels like it took him back to square one 100%. So everything you're saying makes total sense to me. Like, it feels like everything that he learned, all of the relationships he's made with the other guys, of course with Mia, even with Rip, I mean, it's all dissolved. I mean, he's really starting back from day one all over again. Like you said, his wardrobe is a great indicator of that. Obviously with Mia and him, I mean, wah wah. (laughs) Talk about like, how long did we spend on this relationship? Is it really not going to happen here? And I think the way that they have kept him clean shaven kind of thin and really green looking if you will I think there is such potential for him to go to the four sixes fill out 
We're going to get a beard. We're going to get a, a cowboy hat at some he's point. He's going to get too sunburned without that damn cowboy hat down here in Texas. Someone's going to gift him a Stetson and it's going to be a big deal, right? Like it's going to be a whole thing. And so I feel like they've kept him, like how you guys are talking about the growth in Tate. Mm-hmm. Tate is almost catching up with Jimmy in the way yeah. they look. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like this is the time when they're going to get Jimmy in the gym and they're going to make him look like <laughs> yeah. a man. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you. They almost like had to take him back to a little boy status. Hmm. I think his rebellion could probably go another couple of steps down in terms of his lashing out. Because, I mean, Travis mm-hmm. is is laying it on pretty thick, giving him a hard time. Yeah. A lot of hazing kind of behavior there, which is going to happen, I think. It's not that he really hates his guts. It's that he's hazing him. Like tough love. Yeah. And, well, and but, like he but, really is being ignorant. I mean, thinking he's going to sit up front in the... I mean, what? what? Well, I was wondering why... You, yeah. Why? He, like, <laughs> dialed back the common sense. Like, well, what if it falls out? Like, dude, it's a pickup truck. You rope it in. Yeah. And, like, he's been working on a ranch, guys, for a couple yeah. of seasons. Like, he really doesn't know how to handle any type of equipment in a truck. But that's where I feel well, like this teenage regression right. is, yeah. like, manifesting itself. Like... What do we think the fact that he took off the thing stuff like the his whole like apparatus? I know, but what? I mean, are we looking at like permanent injury? Like, what is happening now? I mean, that's freaking me out. I'm like driving off. I was like, don't turn your head. No, seriously, your neck is gonna snap. (laughs) It's true though. Like, don't look at her. Don't turn. Oh my god, that was so frightening. All that stuff though is gonna catch up with his behavior, where he feels like a grown man to some extent, just even age wise or something, but. He was told what to do by John, and then he was told what to do by Travis. And at a certain point, he's going to get tired of being told Mm -hmm. that you don't exist as an independent (laughs) thinking person. And something's going to give. Something's going to blow. I'm starting to think that's kind of where Mia was at with him. Like, she's frustrated because she's saying, like, why are you just letting these people dictate your whole life? Why don't you stand up for yourself or do something that you want to do and I gave her crap in our last podcast about being so like this is all your fault Mia he got on the horse because of you and broke his neck but uh, <laughs> yeah we were laying it on pretty thick <laughs> like, this is all your dang fault but uh, but I in this episode I love that she was saying like I'm right here like why don't you choose me and she's right like Jimmy leave this place move you know she's saying i'm right here i've been here the whole time like why are you not choosing me and i think that she's justified in being pissed off at this point so for listeners who maybe like are catching up with you guys in this season or or what have you do you feel like he does have the ability to leave or if he steps off that ranch he's heading straight for the train station I I mean, he's know. got the he's got the y on his chest yeah. right so i mean he's got the brand does he have the right? And then is Mia a little bit ignorant acting yes. that she's going to be like, I mean, she saw them getting brand Like she yeah. knows. So then she's kind of like, look, be a man. And then it's like, I am a man. I have to actually follow through on my word, right. which is I'm going to be loyal to the ranch and I have to do what I'm told. It's such a mixed bag. No one's allowed to be a man on this ranch. I feel like we've talked about that one. I don't know, definitely offline, but the idea that like John is the only one who's allowed to be a man. Like Everyone else is a boy. Yeah. Even yeah. even Rip is like treated yeah. like boy, go do what I said kind of stuff. And so when you do that and then the man, the big king, starts to decline, you've got a slew of boys who don't know how to step up or make decisions. Well, if you're like backslapped every time you do make a decision and you're punished for it, then you're not going to do that anymore. Right. So you're going to wait and 
for someone else to tell you what to do and where do you want me to go? And But I also think that Jimmy's really torn because John has also picked up his hospital bills. Yeah. Right. Ooh. That's a very big ask. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that this boy, man, has incurred. <laughs> man boy. Man boy, boy man. <laughs> depending, on, depending on how he really wants to see himself because he is indebted to this man in a way, in ways that others aren't. Right. They don't have a health plan, right? So yeah. <laughs> he's in agreement with the grandfather. Yeah. You know, that this, yeah. is, this is how Jimmy would be kept safe. Right. But he had to come be on the ranch. And then yeah. John reinforces this to Jimmy saying, I'm a man of my word. Like, I pay up to promise to your, your grandfather. And I think that that's resonating in Jimmy. But I think at some point, too, he's just going to be like, listen, this is love. I haven't had love in my life. And I feel that he's going to push back. But, Caroline, you bring up a really good point. It's like, what can he really do? No, I mean, honestly, I, I think they're so willing to slit your throat. I don't know what he can do, you know? I just really don't know. And we, we did get a glimpse of the train station again tonight. So yeah. We certainly did. It yeah, is active. Dropped off a passenger. <laughs> active. We, we will get to that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think you're right. I think Jimmy may not necessarily have the option to walk away from the Yellowstone without a visit to the train station. What do so. you think of John and his th- thought that, like, if this is love, she'll be here when you get back? Is that Maybe. fair advice or Maybe. is that like, Burr, she's totally sleeping with the next dude? <laughs> I don't know. I think in John's estimation of love, like he's 25 years removed from his last serious relationship. Mm. I don't think that love stays that way. I don't either. anymore. Sorry, I'm very cynical. <laughs> I'm back again. Sheila, cynical Sheila is back again. She reared her ugly head the last episode as well. I don't. I don't know. I don't think she'd stay. I, I think the life of a barrel racer. I think their their mobile life lends itself to the next best opportunity. Can we ask you guys a question? Because we were wondering about this. Why do they let the ladies hang around That's who don't seem to do so much work? Like, are they, they're just eating and drinking and like, are Servicing they? Servicing the men. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what is you, happening on this do ranch? Do you guys, th- I mean, are they doing something else other than, I mean, I are, are, so. are they picking up a shovel? Are, are we seeing anything? Well, the only indication uh, before this episode, I would have said, no, they're just mooching. Freeloading. Right, yeah, right. freeloading. So, but when Laramie stepped out of the trailer and said, what are we doing today? And he said, go style the horses. So that's the only indication that maybe they're chipping in. Yeah, but maybe okay. they're doing some grooming or something. Just, just is, it not, is it not barrel racing season right now? <laughs> I I don't know. Like, don't not. you have anything else to be doing? I'm sure like you're training their horse or something like that. Like, what, but what I will mean? say that Walker has been more of a presence personality wise mm-hmm. since the girls have been on. You guys, this one, it, it, that was the uh, funniest line ever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love Walker in this episode. You guys could say it. Uh, oh, the you, barn line. Oh, wait. You, <laughs> did you appreciate I that? like that yeah, rip said yeah. you'd be riding anything. I like, in prison for what yeah, was it? I was in prison years. for seven years. You're like, lucky. I'd ride anything. He's like, you're lucky I don't put a hole in the side of the barn. <laughs> <ride that." laughs> I was like, that was hilarious. But that is literally like, the only, well, I would say it's probably the first burst of humor yeah. out of Walker that we've gotten ever. Maybe. I don't yeah. remember him ever He's being so needed. funny. Yeah. Yes, I, I feel like I feel like the the tension between Rip and Walker has really dissipated. So I think that Walker's breathing a little easier, and I feel like the relationship that Rip has grown with Beth is a direct correlation to the less prickishness that Rip <laughs> is showing towards Walker. Nice. Okay. 
Well, all... there was a little sexual tension between Beth and Walker way back when, and yeah, she yeah. was like trying to make Rip jealous, and mm-hmm. and Rip was taking that out on Walker as opposed to you know being a man and confronting Beth. About it. So <laughs> now that I feel you know, like Rip is on firm ground, like he he can tolerate Walker again, and now <sighs> Walker's not having to worry about getting his ass beat every day. That right. you know maybe he can it's make time a joke. To hump the barn, right? <laughs> There's more time on his hands. <laughs> that should be in like some deleted scene or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just for like, doing? He's like, like, mind your business. Go ahead. Oh my God. This took a turn. <laughs> hey, we just definitely got our explicit rating. <laughs> we got to bring the guests We earned it. <laughs> this is for what you paid for over sure. here. Um, Can we talk about Travis's shirt for a minute? I got such a kick out of it. Um, Your girlfriend keeps looking at me. Oh, (laughs) yes. That's awesome. It was just in line with the whole Walker comments. Absolutely. But but you know what? I remember from y'all's rewind that you guys did, you talked a lot about the humor that existed in this show. With Casey and Jamie being in such a different place in their lives, I feel like we're, we don't even get the, like, sibling banter. We're not getting mm-hmm. any of the stuff that was existing before that had those, like, biting lines. Everything got so serious. Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't have we don't have Beth it. and Jamie's interaction anymore. That's gone. That was always sass. Yeah. You know, we're just not getting that. Even every everything with Rourke. I mean, we're just not – we don't have it anymore. So I definitely feel like – we need some of these lines coming back. Right. They do find ways to bring the humor in, I think, in an appropriate way, that it's never, like, slapsticky. Mm-hmm. But, like, Tate, you guys were saying, we don't have that grandfather piece right. anymore. So, like, without Tate really playing a role, you're missing that part. Right. Miss- One of the reasons I love, like, Succession is I love the biting remarks between the siblings. And since the siblings are always so separated now, we don't get that. And and it's it's much missed. So I'm glad that it's starting to come back with some of the, the bunk yeah. boys, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. They always provide some good humor. (laughs) So I really want to talk about Beth and Carter and that whole relationship that Sheila and I were discussing last episode of our podcast and that I want to come back and sort of say you're right, Sheila. Like I was, uh, <laughs> I was. What about what about, about what? Carter? Like I was like, come on, he's just a little kid. Like be oh, nice to him. And you're like, cynical no. Sheila was back saying that he was conniving. Like, that he he here. had his mark, and he saw Beth and was just like, oh, I'm going to hitch my wagon to that, you know, gravy yeah. train. <laughs> so this interaction with Beth and Carter was awesome, hilarious, and funny, and just and uncomfortable and uncomfortable. And it just pointed out that he's not quite who I necessarily thought he was he's not he might be 14 but he's been through a lot maybe or or has a different plan or has seen an opportunity and and I just don't think like that like I see a kid who's like was sitting on the bench at a hospital and so I think that you're right in that and and Rip was I'm sorry I'm right yeah <laughs> and Rip was no, what right is, what does Rip say yeah no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he says, says that, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry I was right, right. right. Yeah, he yeah. Said, yeah no even like more, what do you say something I didn't like I like, almost said he didn't want to be right yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Or something like that yeah but, and no, so that was a very good man every partner in the world needs to learn that line yeah. right <laughs> that like you can be right but you don't gotta like you know yeah. be like all like you wallowing don't gotta flaunt it, like, it all the go time go ahead and say like I didn't want to be right like yeah. I'm sorry this happened yeah I think it was interesting to see that side of Carter because I didn't see it at first, you know, and you guys did and and Rip did. Rip saw it. And I and that's why I was like defending him. Like, why is Rip seeing being such a jerk to this poor kid? But I think Rip saw that like you picked your 
you know, Mark and puppy dogged my lady. And I don't think you deserve to be here. Like you didn't ask for a job. You didn't ask for help. You're just expecting it. And that was his exact attitude going into that store with Beth. It's like, well, I get to get whatever I want. I get to get this shirt. And it's like, and as the mom, I'm like, uh, no, you don't. Like, that's not like, I was already like, and mom, are like, uh, we said jeans and we said, right. we are not walking out of the store with it. a Nintendo. Like it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> so I love it. And he was just like, we got this, right? He just assumed that she was just going to bend over backwards. and He misunderstood who his teammate was. Yeah. He thought it was him and Beth versus Rip. He miscalculated that it's Rip and Beth so versus So extraordinarily, yeah. yeah. And so uh, he just totally misplayed it. But I think it was clever writing mm-hmm. to bring him on the scene for us to be able to catch the Stephs yeah. and, and, and other people who have a soft heart because you brought him in at a time when he did lose his dad. Yeah. Like we watched Beth like step up for him and advocate for him. So then you have a soft place in your heart because you watched him have his dad die. So you kind of keep that as who he is mm-hmm. when they're driving him up in a police car. You kind of automatically forgive him. Even though yeah, it's like, wait, did. did we all forget that he was just driven up in a police car? Like, So we kind of knew he was a bad guy, but he was presented so like a little lamb that it was easy to be like, wow, they're really being crappy to him. Yeah, like yeah. They're being exactly. very aggressive with him. But Rip was right. He did a good read on it. I'm going to say, you guys, I still had a hard time with Rip treating him so roughly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Specifically him. I mean, I know that Beth did in this one as well. <laughs> I was going to say, well, Beth- The entire <laughs> child abuse. What did you guys think about that? I mean, is that such a reflection on, like, the, you know, social media, the pressure of, like, doing the something that you don't even think is in your values just because someone's going to videotape you or whatever like should she have gone along with it just to not get herself videoed or what that scene was uncomfortable for me because it's just not something that we see a lot children do not get manhandled that way anymore and i think that beth has never been called to the carpet in such a way in her life i mean she's perpetrated some really horrible things i mean i'm just thinking right back now to the store when monica Mm -hmm. was accused of stealing and all of the things that she did beth loses her temper Mm. Beth is a 35, 36-year-old woman who has temper tantrums on the par of a toddler and breaks stuff, cusses. I mean, she, short of throwing herself on the floor, she is a toddler <laughs> in, in her emotional maturity when it comes to this. And I think just being confronted with some of her own shortfalls, staring her back in the face, it gave her a minute's pause. And I think that she just didn't know what to do with these feelings and emotions. So she had to do the same thing. Like, she had to have her own temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. She knocked the stuff off the display. <laughs> like, and, breaking the phone. Ooh. Yeah, breaking the phone. And I think that's why she didn't know what to do. In that situation. Also, she's picking up as a parent at 14. Yeah. That's yes. hard. She missed out on the, you know, having to abandon the shopping carts in Target at two years old. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that, you know, we've all had to kind of go through. Very true. And they don't have that sense of rapport. Like, you know, he doesn't understand the mom death look. Like, I'm going to kill you when we get home <laughs> yeah. if you don't knock this shit off right now. I don't think she knew what to do with these feelings. And I think that she's developing some sort of maternal feeling, maybe some familial love towards this kid. And I think that scares her. Well, she had always counted herself out. As, yeah. Yeah. as a person who would ever take on that role. I guess if you just had removed that part of your personality and then all of a sudden you needed it again, you would have to make do with what you had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Tate right. was, you know, the very early interactions with Tate, she didn't know what to do with him. And right. that's her blood, you know? Yeah. 
I feel like she was introducing herself to Tate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like, you want ice cream? Like, you want a cheese yeah. plate? Yeah, yeah. I think she yeah. ordered a cheese plate or something yes. really, like, it's adult. Very awkward. But, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's fascinating. I think that you're right that and actually about Beth not having that maternal side Rip having the tequila waiting for her, like <laughs> it so awesome. much made me feel like Rip for as much as like whatever we're gonna consider him like the papa bear of that twosome. I feel like he actually has picked up a lot of maternal mm-hmm. type qualities, like the nurturing qualities, because that's just so not her. That you know, having him be able to to have that ready is like, oh yeah, she's like never shown that side even with him. That you're really seeing it like more and more where it's like coming forward, you know, and it's 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 going to create chaos for all of them. Mm-hmm. Rip doesn't know what to do with a maternal Beth. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to ply her with tequila is what he's going to do. Exactly. Exactly. But like in the scheme of Beth's days, this was not the worst day she's had. Yeah. And she's like, it's kind of a bucket, you know, you drink the tequila from a bucket kind of day. I'm like, dude, you were blown up not long ago. Uh, right? <laughs> like <Right>. perspective. <laughs> right. To that point, you guys actually had a listener write in and comment on the speed in which she healed her back. That's what I yeah, said. Yeah, we were what not you okay say with that. about this. Yeah, someone was asking because of how her cheek is so like still kind of more Pink. wounded, mm-hmm. right? And her back is so I don't know, it seems aged, it, like, it, like right. it's been there yeah. for a while. So I said that to someone. I don't know if it was just you and I, Sheila, on our own time offline. But, yeah, it's that's not possible. Like, burn wounds to that Take degree. Years. Do not ear- heal that quickly. Yeah. And But, yeah, I mean, it's TV, so I guess, <laughs> I guess it's fine. And, I, I mean, I guess like, we kind of figured that we're only a short time removed from the actual event because, like, John was in a coma. They said it was August, so we figured this happened in June. So it's not a lot of time. So now we're kind of into autumn here. So it's four months is not enough time for it to look like that. So no. good eagle eye listener paying attention to that because uh, we had the same kind of comments. But, you know, it's TV, the magic of television. <laughs> <laughs> what did you all think of the advice that Beth had about uh, how to get rich? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys subscribe to her newsletter on this? Yeah, I think she's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did like the fact that Carter made the joke with her about, is that how you got rich with the, um, with point number four? Yeah. <laughs> so as man, what do you think over there? Is that the way it's more or less it? true? <laughs> more or less true. Or less. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic answer, Paul. Yeah. Oh, you know, one thing with Carter, John had a couple of interactions with him that we haven't really talked about. And I just think that in the absence of Tate, John is acting grandfatherly to Carter. Like he's, you know, saying yes, you know, reassuring him that yes, you were the first of the barn. I don't count. I think he's taking this grandfatherly approach in the absence, in the sort of the vacuum of Tate missing here in action, that this is this is an opportunity for us to remind ourselves that he is human under that bad exterior and he does have good qualities and he does, you know, when he's given the opportunity to show them, he's not such a bad person, but he needs to balance out these <laughs> levels of his personality a little bit more. I just like these interactions and I think it just gives Carter just a sense that he's not going to be abandoned Who's next? Who's next? I want to talk about Mo. Mo. We love him. We got to see Mo's house in this episode. And his real life wife. That is so cool. And the fact that they were talking in their native tongue, like he was talking in their native language to his son and his son was responding. His son's a teenager where that could just be like, please. (laughs) I like that they were sort of delivering their lines. But whenever he left, he was like, okay, love you. It seemed like he says that all the like, okay, love you. It was so genuine. Yeah, genuine. 
So we see Mo, and he has Chester Spears in the barn. You mean I thought this guy was dead. That's not his pet? In the barn? <laughs> yeah, apparently he's feeding him, so I mean. He gave him roast beef. He switched yeah. out the sandwiches. He gave this guy roast beef. So that, to me, shows that there's a humane streak here that he wanted to. Oh, for sure. He wanted to reinforce, you know, this is almost like his way to, like, wipe the slate a little bit. But I yeah. think that's where Mo and Rainwater are, is that they are good people. Like, they don't want to kill this guy. I like that they're just like, John, this is your problem if you want it. Like, we want you to deal with this. this. Like, trash. they didn't want to deal with him. Right. They were just trying to get the information because they want to know where their enemy is coming from next. So they, I like that they weren't, quote unquote, the bad guys here. They were just trying to get rid of this problem. And <laughs> apparently this is as, like good as it's gonna get Moe's like okay I'm gonna give you a sandwich you're gonna stay in the barn we're not gonna kill you I mean that barn is dark there is not a shred of light that in and of itself is torture yeah poor Chester I can't believe I said just poor Chester poor Chester (laughs) come on man like that's hard though and then yeah were you guys surprised he was in the barn yeah no I thought it was dead I was like what the hell I thought he was dead yeah I did not think he survived the being dragged through the field right episode but this meeting between Rainwater and John I was actually really shocked when John pulled out a gun while he was I wasn't. getting... I, I don't know. I just figured at I this mean, point that there was enough trust between these two that they could respect each other. Yeah, but he wasn't like, meet me at the you know the coffee diner. shop. Right. He's like, meet me in the <laughs> middle of an abandoned field right. where there like, is no one around. Like, like, let's like, fold Montana in half and fold Montana in half again, <laughs> and then that's where we're going to meet. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. I just I I was surprised in the sense that John doesn't usually do the dirty work himself. So the fact that he brought a gun to this meeting and not maybe Rip with him because he usually has (laughs) Rip. He didn't bring his pet. (laughs) So I was just a little surprised that John a agreed to the meeting without anybody else, even Casey as like Mm -hmm. a sniper or something like that in the hiding. Because John to this point has not really been one to be the first person in the violence that the Duttons perpetrate. And Manny's still recovering. I mean, they were really breezing by this. I mean, he could just pull one out of his gut and be like, here, reload. (laughs) Exactly. When I was asking you guys, I was like, remind me where you got shot. Like like, everywhere? Like every fucking where, where, right? And it's like, oh my God. So uh, yeah, I guess, I think I would bring a gun just for that fact. Of yeah, like, like my body now is you like don't weak. know what's happening. You know, like I don't even know what. Yeah, like is somebody gonna jump out of a van at me? I don't even yeah. know. I think you would get paranoid, kind yeah. of regardless of your actual relationship with them. I would yeah. think. I think perhaps that scene where he goes and plays cards in the bunkhouse, where he promises the guys that he's going to try to keep his family business out of the ranch business, and this militia stuff fell under the family business, so. In the absence of Casey, maybe Casey can't come to this sort of thing since he's legit for the most part. So maybe that only leaves him at this point until Rip's never going to put a ring on it legally, right? No. So As they've discussed, they are, he doesn't have a are, legal name. He's not like a real person. And they are Gray's Anatomy post-it note married, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there is. I, I thought I saw her wearing a ring one time, but I didn't see it this episode, but... Are we sad about that? Do we need a Beth and no, Rip wedding? No, I don't. No, I don't want one. I don't see Beth carrying a bouquet. I, I do not see Rip throwing a garter. I just don't. <laughs> Definitely not. No, please. Chicken yeah. dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chicken dance for them. Yeah. 
you know, funny. Beth might have like a bad moment and like smash the cake. You never know. Yeah, right. oh, that would be the Absolutely. least of the problems. So when Mo actually asked them, like basically like and Rainwater does too, like if I show you what's here, like you've got to take out the trash on this whole thing. Would you guys do that? Would you be like more reticent? I mean, John jumps right in both feet. Like he's like, show me what's there. And it was like, no, dude, did you hear the warning? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like you broke it, you it. bought it kind yeah. of thing. And choice does like, he have? I don't know. I was wondering, but would you guys, or would you think for a hot second or no, you got to know? I mean, you got to know. If it's something to do with the assault on his family, because he's taking it so personally, because I mean, well, they tried personal. to take him out, yeah. but more so to the fact, I think it was the fact that like both of his kids were gone after as well, that he's just like, I have to know. Yeah. You have to deal with this. And he's always got a means of getting rid of the trash. And as much as he promised to keep the, the ranch business and the family business separate, we just saw at the beginning of this episode, there was that blurring of the We're line still again. still in because, the middle of this. Yeah, you still have your army of branded soldiers who are, you know, ready and willing and able and, frankly, have to follow your demands. So, yeah, so I think he had to, you know, jump in feet first into that fire and see what was, you know, behind door number one. Did y'all expect him to, like, actually give Chester a fighting chance with that gun? Because, my God, no. he got two shots off before John got his shit together. I did <laughs> not. I did not think that he was going to give him any sort of option. Is it that John has never actually gotten his hands dirty in any of this history of the Dutton Ranch and he didn't want to actually pull the trigger and be the one to be guilty? I mean, they do this all the time. People go to the train station on a regular basis at the Yellowstone. So, Did he end up shooting anybody with the uh, motorcycle gang? No. No. Uh-uh. He nope. didn't shoot them there. He stood there with a shotgun and told them to start digging. And Casey and Rip showed up with, you know, lighted shotguns. But no, he never fired a shot. So then are we going with some sort of like cowboy code where it's like he made the other guy have a gun. They yeah. faced each other, which was like a big part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. In my notes, he had I a put, fair shot. Yeah, in my notes, I put that this was almost like a duel. It is, you it, know, yeah, it like very much was that. And I think you said it right. The cowboy code is that he didn't want to just execute this guy. He wanted to give him a fighting shot. But and he even says he goes, "Do you want me? To, do you want to send me to heaven before I send you to hell?" Yeah, and I think he knew full well that this guy wasn't going to do. He was pretty beat up on. <laughs> He's got like one eye open. Like, it was like fair. I'm using it air wasn't quotes. fair. It really but, wasn't yeah. fair because for a couple of reasons because John had the truck headlights behind him, so mm. Chester is staring into the headlights like he can't see shit. Looking into the lights, and he's bloodied. And I'm sure John got a few extra shots off, you know, punches to the face to, you know, help that bruising. Well, he's um, not going to give him an actual fair fight, but he didn't want, like you said, he just didn't want to execute. Him. Right. It was like just a formality to me. Like, yeah. I don't want to be the one to like actually be guilty of this. Well, it's going to be considered self-defense if he's got a weapon. Exactly. And so he's, he's setting it up. You. But is he really concerned about that? I mean, he's in the zone of That's death. He's asking. at the train Why? station. Like, I think in his own, this is what I'm talking about, code. Like, And it doesn't necessarily have to be to the letter. Yeah. Or like, or like <laughs> it's the spirit of the code. Yeah, How about that? Code. And less of like, like, was that legit? I mean, should you have let him heal up for six weeks and <laughs> then fight you? Like, you know, I mean, like, to be honest, you know, it wasn't a great situation, but he did get two shots off. John and is John had to lucky. load his gun. Yeah. So that was like an extra 10 seconds or whatever. That risky this, business. It was risky. But I, upon a second watching, I went back and I was like, oh, the position of the lights. I was like, this yeah, dude did no. not stand a chance. Yes, because no. he's looking into lights to try to find his target, but he does hit the car, so he's not far off. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. 
He wasn't at um, all. <laughs> there was a funny moment, though. Like, again, like they find these little ways to, to bring in something funny, and it worked in this scene. When John asked Chester as he's getting him out of the back of the pickup, like, have you ever shot a man? And he's like, where? South Dakota, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I meant where in the body, dummy. <laughs> I love that. I love that he said dummy. I was like, John Dutton just said dummy. Not like motherfucker. He said dummy. And it just it, <laughs> it made it so much worse. Yeah. Just like It was just like childish, you know. So what do you think John's going to do with that information? Now he's got this file, right? He's got Chester dead, but he's got this information of, like, who ordered the hit. Well, his uh, adopted son is kind of in charge of the state's penal system, right? To an mm. extent, where this guy lives. True. True. So now, the guy's name is Riggins. Like, it was just underneath his picture. Mm. Um, so my theory, and I think we talked about it a little bit just in our pre-show notes, was that I think this guy knows Garrett Randall. Jamie's dad. Mm. So because Garrett Rand, he was in jail for a long time, upwards of 30 years, and um, he's going to know people in the system and he's still going to have contacts. Because even last episode, like you and I were talking, I, was like, I do not want to let go of this Jamie connection because the conditions were too ripe. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lifetime, he's had 35 years of just being beat down by these people that this is his chance to kind of get some digs back. And I just don't think that they would have invested the amount of time in this to not have this come as a payoff. But Garrett Randall, to me, is prime real estate for knowing who this guy Reagans is. Probably knows this guy Chester, too, if these guys mm-hmm. were cellmates. And he's not out of the clink all that long. So, you know, these yeah. are fresh connections. And this is where I think Jamie comes in. I think that this is where Garrett was able to negotiate a couple of different ways. And he probably knew people in the militia. So these are all just really nice connections that he was able to bridge. Do you guys think that it's possible that Garrett did this without Jamie's knowledge or blessing? Possible, but that's kind of some way to ingratiate himself to his son. Like I got rid of all the, you know, kind of how parents haters. We got rid of all. We got rid of the bullies who bothered you at school, basically, right? Like that kind of talk. Like maybe I'll just handle it for you. Is it possible that Jamie legit didn't know? He didn't seem to know anything when Beth came to his office. He always plays dumb, though. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie's very good at that. I think Jamie knew full well. You think? Yeah. I would say it's possible he didn't know, but more likely he did. I don't know. He likes to play. What are you talking about? <laughs> he does <laughs> do that quite well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bet that he didn't. I'm going to bet that he didn't. Okay. That, that, okay, that, let's go 50-50. That his dad is uh, <laughs> trying to clear the way for him. I'm thinking he's doing the right thing. You know how we all do? You know, we think we're going to step in, maybe on behalf of our spouse, maybe on behalf of somebody, and we think we're doing the right thing or whatever, or what they would want from us. But, like, in reality, like, I don't really think Jimmy wants all the Duttons dead. I don't really think he does. I just think that he wants to have a chance to make his own money and make his own name and all that kind of stuff. But Garrett, I think it suits him just fine if all the Duttons were dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. So who's got more to, to gain out of it? Jamie or Garrett? I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Just, yeah. I have no freaking idea. Jamie could be like the king douche. I don't know. <laughs> he could be wearing the crown. <laughs> the only Dutton I think Jamie would like to spare would be Casey. Yeah. Like, and I yeah. And, and Tate I, and Monica. Oh, yeah. And I don't crew. think he would. Yeah. I don't think, I think he's just indifferent to Monica and Tate. Like, I don't know if he has any real relationship with them, but I get the feeling too, that Garrett has a lot of rip qualities so that he might step in and just be like to Jamie, what rip is to John. To your point, Caroline, like, I know what he needs, yeah. and I, 
I have the latitude and the judgment and the freedom to go and do it and go back to what I said earlier. I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Even go back and move it on like even one more layer and say rip to Carter. And he's he's saying like something you got to do the tough love. You got to do stuff behind the scenes. You can't give him what he thinks he wants. You got to give him what he needs. You know, all that kind of business. Like there's a lot of paralleling stories that kind of make me wonder. Garrett's never like stepped up as like this big bad dad. Don't get me wrong. But this is very underhanded worminess that feels like it could have come from a Garrett Randall. And it's also bringing Jamie up to the man status that Garrett Randall thinks that he might need to be brought up to jamie is trying to make a name for himself like he's bought this ranch and, land. and ranch. it's it's a ranch so where is he going with that like is that a whole nother i think he wants to go toe to toe right so yeah i mean these are but these are all really good points and they have a lot of space to kind of flex these muscles and see where we go so you know we, we should put money on who was right yeah we should <laughs> make this a little more interesting <laughs> oh you guys <laughs> So we really don't want to go to this last part, do we? I don't want to talk about it at all. (laughs) Before we get to the part where we see Monica and Tate finally, which we were lamenting the last episode and now we're kind of regretting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wanting to see. We We don't want to see. But we did get this little moment of comic relief with the uh, with Casey's livestock commissioner office. And this guy from California. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so what did this do for you, Steph, with him putting him in the cattle crate? It's just like a day in the life, you know, of Casey. And it's just, it is. This episode was one day, if you noticed. And so to me, that just is par for the course. Like, I wake up in the morning, I go ride a horse. And then I got to go deal with some asshole and put him in the... <laughs> like, I wasn't sure where he was going with this. Like, he was roughing him up and throwing him to the ground. And I'm thinking, okay, Casey, like, where are you really going to go with this? Because really all he's done is made cattle movement harder, I guess. And I don't more know. expensive. And uh, so he's just like, why are you... I think the fact that this farmer, if you want to call him that, llama farmer, was <laughs> like, I just don't want your cow shit on my road. Like, he didn't have a legit reason for right. doing that. And that just pissed Casey off. Like, dude, you're just being an asshole. So at this point, I'm just going to do that back to you. And... I thought it was hilarious. So when he, I mean, he has him like zip tied <laughs> and uh, in the back of his truck. And I'm, uh, so when he laid him down on the ground, I'm like, okay, I don't know what he's about to do with this cattle car. <laughs> like, I didn't know they lifted up like that. I was like, okay, is he going to smash him in half with it? That's a bit drastic, Casey. Like, I don't think there needs to be any bloodshed at this point. Yeah, there's uh, been enough. So to me, rolling him in there and shutting the lid was perfect. It was just like awesome. Like, I you're going to be a jerk it. about it. Like, just sit here and think about what you've done. <laughs> like, it's the like equivalent of like going to your room. But no, yeah. you have to sit in the cattle grate. <laughs> For me, this was a little upsetting in a way, even though it was funny. But it was just like, I bring everything back to Star Wars. I feel like this is like Anakin Skywalker's transformation into Darth Vader being coming complete. Like, this is Casey's transformation into the John Dutton way of life. And you and I have talked about this stuff. Where, like, his hair seems darker, he seems more John-like, they're having a better relationship. And now that he's assumed the role of livestock commissioner, that he's falling into line with the tactics that he kind of bristled at with, like, you know, like, it shouldn't have to be this hard to run the ranch. But he's doing the exact same things that his dad was endorsing and probably having Officer Steve Hendon, you know, go out and do. But I just was just like, oh, man, I was like, you are just falling hook, line and sinker, which then leads us really into this, right, this you're right. conversation with Monica. That's a really great point. I have been a very astute TV watcher. So this yeah. was me at three o'clock in the morning yesterday. Yeah. going. Hmm. <laughs> I said I was like, my theory is only 12 hours old. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, yeah, it was upsetting to me when I thought about like the the backlash or the repercussions of this, because for like the good old boys that he's serving, that this is going to be like, oh, you do have our back. Okay, you're you're good. You're one of us. And I feel like this is just going to go a long way to driving a wedge between him and Monica. Yeah, for sure. Even though it was funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Shows complex people. <laughs> right. All right. So Monica oh. and Tate. Yeah. So last episode, we were like, where are they? How come you didn't show them? How to us? dare you? Why would you do this to us? And now we're like, we take them back. I don't want to see poor Tate stuck under the bed. Oh. So he lets out this shriek where he doesn't want to come out from under the bed. And for the parents in the room, which is all four of us, that is probably the most blood curdling, uncomfortable sound to hear as a parent. That is abject terror and pain and to have monica in the background just she's weeping and like she's pleading casey casey stop like, like don't put him through this and oh my gosh has it hit dad ears what was he supposed to do exactly because yeah. what she was doing was just creating boo radley living under the, oh, yeah. the the bed that wasn't a sustainable plan now yanking him out like that you know, you got to acknowledge that your kid killed a guy in the kitchen. And that hasn't really been addressed on screen mm-hmm. that right. we've seen. And your kid was kidnapped and had his head shaved. Just yeah. like a couple and of months ago. Yeah, like not yeah. all that long before. Yeah. So, I mean. Well, Casey's arguing he needs to go to a doctor. Like, we don't need to be sitting under the bed waiting for him to peacefully come out. We need to help our child. And he's feeling that. Like, I'm not saying Casey was wrong for doing that. It was just hard to watch. Yeah. But he'd also gotten to the point where, like, it's been weeks of this and yeah. it's not, getting, it's not better. getting better. And almost like, this is going to sound really bad, but like blaming Monica for like enabling the or continuing to enable the behavior. But at the same time, she's sitting there every day with him and she's hearing him weep and mm-hmm. whimper and, and just not doing anything else about it. And then, like, when he does finally, you know, get him out from under the bed, I'm going to say rip him out from under the bed, the terror in this kid's eyes is just, he's wild. He's not human. And he even tells him to go sit at the table like a human. Yeah. Reconstitute yourself. This is what fight or flight looks like in a child. Yeah. I mean, it's chills. Yeah. It's awful. It's hard to listen to. But sometimes you have to upset them that much to care for them. So I feel like that's where Casey was finally at this point of, like, I have to help him. And even if he's screaming at me like this is the point we're at and at least he's engaging i think like that's also where he's coming from that he's not recoiling and cowering in his own little corner and casey gives him this reassurance by saying like you faced your biggest fear you beat it so like you have nowhere to go but up basically yeah i liked that casey was reassuring him and affirming him in that whole situation versus chastising him like get out of the bed this is stupid like right like this is what i was talking about earlier though where we have camera time spent on Carter and and that business, whereas months have intervened here, and we don't know how Monica got to the point where she needs to tell Casey that she hates him. We haven't seen any of that mm-hmm. intervening. That build up, right. Has, has Casey literally not been coming home for the last two months, and this is the first time we've seen him? No, that no. doesn't make any sense. So what, what got us here? I mean, we can kind of assume a lot, but they also could have shown us. I feel you. I mean, if if we only get 10 hours with the Duttons, right, and then we're going to have to be quiet for a year or so, you know, like we don't really know, then it is hard when you bring in new characters like Carter or even, you know, you have – I loved Travis and I loved all that, but it was a long time watching just the horses do their thing. And again, then now we get nearer to the end of the story and we're like, hold up. 
Tate was under the bed this whole time. Like, I actually probably should have spent a couple more minutes with this family, right? Rather than watch a horse Sliding. come to a stop. <laughs> you know, as like impressive three as that more is. times, and it is amazing. And I and you know, we said at the beginning, this was impressive work. At the same time, I mean, this was impressive work out of the little actor who plays Tate. I didn't, uh, I don't, yeah. I didn't love him always throughout Yellowstone. So I think he did a really good job of showing being a terrorized kid in this really adult world yeah. that he lives in. He I does mean, trauma is well. No other yeah. kid Breck and Merrill, he deserves like whatever, you know, like <laughs> I mean, there is for, you know, <laughs> on-screen I, terror. And it's interesting to have Tate have a Carter in the mix here because now you can actually see those boys probably aging up together here mm-hmm. in the next couple of seasons. And that's going to be a fascinating twosome. One who's born into this family and maybe doesn't want to be here. One who's like earning his way into the family. Yeah. And you're going to get a really different, you know, dynamic it's between them. Parallel of like Rip and Jamie and Casey. Absolutely. And, and all that. And yeah. how's the modeling going to go? Like who's going to look up to who for what? It's mm-hmm. just going to be a very interesting dynamic when these two finally get together but this whole point paul what you brought up about monica saying that she hates him and we said this we said that this is going to affect monica in a way that she's going like this was our prediction that she's just not going to handle this all at well at all and retreat away from the ranch and like that's basically coming true here yeah. is that we, we said she's got nowhere to go but out do you guys think that it's realistic that she can go out like i mean can is there anywhere she can really run she can go back to the reservation. But is it really safe? I mean, will they really never come after her? Will they really, like, do you know what I mean? Like, can you really outrun oh, right. being a Dutton? Can you really outrun your husband, your family? Like, can you really outrun this? Or is it like... I mean, if you completely disappear, maybe. Yeah. Change I mean, your identity and Maybe that's over, a possibility but... for her, but I don't know. I don't no, know I don't what, think it is. what choices <laughs> she has, you know? Yeah. I just don't see how she's going to be able to stay on this ranch now that she's convinced that it's evil. It's making her evil. It's making their son evil for what he did. Like, you know, he was showing his Dutton with the, you know, with taking the shotgun so fast to this intruder because there was no time. There was no time in between. Like, he didn't hesitate. He ran to that shotgun closet and just... That's right, defense and that, but I I in understand her, where you're going with yeah, it and but why she sees mind, it that way. But like all like, of the nurture that she's done to try to like undutton him mm-hmm. is just like I think in her mind just wasted because like out it came and now she's dealing with the fallout from him struggling with this and not knowing how to deliver the needs. But to your point though earlier, Paul, about you know this on screen time and you know introduces a new character, I needed to see that bridge. Mm-hmm. Like I'm feeling left a little wanton for for knowing where Casey's been and, you know, but it, it was like with him being surprised by the dinner table being empty, like almost like that was the first time he'd seen it. I was just like, mm, is that no, really not right? the first time yeah. you haven't shown up for dinner? <laughs> yeah. And then Caroline, I wanted to bring up something that you brought up when we were watching this together yesterday about how they're writing Carter. I know this is a super long episode and I'm so, so sorry, but like the fact that we're all together and and we have dinner reservations in 14 minutes. Um, (laughs) But you brought up this point yesterday and I didn't want to let this opportunity slide by without kind of bringing this to light. And we're not throwing shade or anything like that, but I think it's it was a good point that you brought up. So why don't you bring us in? Maybe maybe because Tate and Carter are of the same age, we can kind of like kind of ease in that way. I think there's something to cock my head to the side about when you have characters across the board being written with the same voice. It bothers me. So you can't have, say, Rip say something and then Carter's going to say something in the same way. So he he makes this remark that that like life has robbed him of his options. Yeah. 
I and then Jimmy, uh, funny enough, like later on says something like, "Well, I don't have a lot of choices." Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of says it like right. that. And I'm like. Carter should have said it like that. Yeah, they should have been reversed, right? Like, you have a grown man, you've got a little boy who seems to have about a first grade education. Like, what are you doing here? So I'm curious what they're going to do. And uh, But I think it goes back to paralleling Tate and Carter. I think that's going to end up happening. Where there's something about making Carter, like, I don't know, he's like street smart, I guess. I guess that's what we're going with. That maybe he is going to talk like this. But it feels odd to me. I don't know for you guys. I mean, anytime on a story does that, I don't like it when they make characters make jokes in the same way because people don't do that. Everybody mm-hmm. kind of has their own approach on how they do things or whatever. And I don't like that. And I don't like it when they make like children speak too complicated, I guess. You know, I mean, he's he's just a little boy in the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you guys were picking up on that. And I don't know if it bothers anybody else, but... You know, there's not a lot of kids on the show. When you said this, it made me go back to my notes. And I was just like, oh, because there was something that I was just like, wait, what does he say? When he talks about Beth, when he first meets Rip, and he's like, he says, you outkicked your coverage with that one. Yeah. Yeah. What? I was just like, I had to wait. I had to wait until this episode (laughs) aired on screen to watch with (laughs) captions what the hell he said, because I was like, outkicked your coverage. Like, it just didn't make sense. Like, I am not a 14 year old boy. I'm many times that at this point that's not something a teenager would say and i don't care how street smart or street savvy that you are and then he says um i think walker asks like where his his family is and he goes oh my dad's polluting the dirt they buried him yeah right right right. um this is too like like a poet's way of speaking in a way that you're like what are you talking about like who ever spoke like this to you? Supposedly his dad was like a drug addict. Like, who is yeah. talking to him like this? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see know. him with books in his hand. So, you know, it's not that he's having, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Oscar Wilde, you know, mm-hmm. infecting his brain with all kinds of, you know, thoughts and dreams and things like that. But I just thought it was a really interesting point that you brought up because I don't necessarily know where it's going other than maybe the fact that it might make him interesting to somebody mm-hmm. and maybe not underestimate him as much as maybe someone would i'll totally give you that i don't i don't know and we'll see if they're consistent with it yeah maybe as they write for kids more often maybe it'll start talking more like a kid because maybe they'll find his voice (laughs) but being like a new kid you know maybe they're just writing kind of you know it's hard he talks like a you know a bunkhouse guy you know like like, he's he talks like john or something you know very smart assy as well and then he has these like they're very poetic ways of saying very you know (laughs) Yeah, like a very um, outlandish or embellished way to say something where it's just like, you know, my dad's rotten in a grave. Or, yeah. No, he's polluting it's the like dirt he's that dead. he's buried. But, like, that's what a boy would say. <laughs> he's, he's dead. dead. Right. He Maybe died. he's worm food. Something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. That's what a 14-year-old boy might say, but right. polluting the grave. Well, on Yellowstone, be fucking worm food. <laughs> <laughs> Perfection. Love it. Love it. Love it. This was a lot of fun. I am so glad you guys decided to join us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. I'm so glad, Sheila, you came all the way to Texas. Just for us, right? That's the only reason you came. That's the only reason why I'm in Houston, for sure. (laughs) One of our kids was like, she flew here? I was like, yeah, uh-huh. to do this, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. I've been all day at the, the Daily's house. I've been watching Amityville Horror, getting ready for something else, and recording two podcasts in one day. It's great. Yeah. Busy, um, busy at the clubhouse. Yes. So for all of you guys listening, you need to stay tuned because we have Kelsey Asbiel's uh, five-minute interview, which we supersized the amount of information that we could get in there. And we hope to have many more interviews to come. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening. This is Sheila. This is Steph. This is Caroline. And Paul. 
thanks so much for listening to Yellowstone. If you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Five stars is always appreciated. And we said last episode, you know, tweet at us, comment on our podcast, interact with us, give us your fan theories because we talk about them and we love to interact with you guys. So keep them coming. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. We are so excited to bring you Pod Clubhouse's interview with Kelsey Asbill. Hey, Kelsey. Hi, Michael. I just want to say thanks for coming on and talking with us a little bit today. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So season four picks up right at the end of season three. You're on the phone with Casey. It's this mad dash flight for you and Tate to get out of the house. He has to kill someone to save you. You two are always in the ringer, it seems. I mean, it seems like yesterday he was just kidnapped. Totally. (laughs) There's not a moment of peace. Uh, every clip of you talking to Casey is we have to get away from this house we have to get away from this family and it feels like this is just another I told you so so what what are you thinking here now or what's what's Monica thinking a big I told you so for sure no and I think like you know it's it's one thing to have your own struggle but to see your your son struggle and also just to see like the Dutton come out in him is, is is terrifying so she is yeah she's She's at her tipping point, man. She's, she wants to get out of there. I think there's this other aspect of Monica that's still always trying to reconcile your heritage and the reservation, but then also being in this big giant house and living this kind of lavish lifestyle. Is that, yeah. is that a theme that we're going to see you return to or, or the character return to and struggle with as she's at this crossroads? Definitely. Actually, I think it's, it's a really um, powerful part of the season because she really turns to her community and her culture as a way of healing Tate. And I think, you know, in doing so, it, it has a healing effect for Monica and Casey. I think a lot of people are, for you guys, your relationship, your marriage, your togetherness just is a heart of the show for so many people is this like beyond the this is the straw that breaks the camel's back on this marriage is is it reconcilable for you or for monica at this point <laughs> i mean without I, giving away too many spoilers or anything i'm more, more right? i know God, i yeah. know i feel like I, um <laughs> okay I, I i mean i think that one thing that i i, I love is like you know despite all the violence and destruction like Taylor Sheridan is a romantic at heart and he does really root for these characters so I think that I I, I, yeah like I I'd like to think they make it till the end (laughs) but um I mean if they survive until then I was gonna say yeah there's it's always 50 50 odds on uh where the bullets are flying uh one thing that we've been wondering about is because the show's been off the air now it's like 15 months how how was it filming it through the you know the pandemic and and then coming back and and picking up the story literally with no no time in between you had to kind of put yourself back in that 2019ish kind of point of view and let me tell you <laughs> quarantine 15 is real and then my first day was running up and down those stairs i was like i, I, I was a mess but no it was actually um it was really special because you know we had we'd been in lockdown we'd been in you know in our apartments and and then we got the opportunity to go back to work and be with our families again and 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 continue the story so i think everyone was the morale was up you know we were so grateful and appreciative and i feel like or i mean at least i hope that kind of emanates through the season on screen 
you're such a popular character and I think people really like to see Monica. You're, you're a little bit of a Jiminy Cricket, I think, for a lot of <laughs> a lot of these morally questionable people. Uh, are we going to get to see you act with a little bit more, interact with more of the Duttons, more than just you and Casey or more than you and John? Wait, I love that Jiminy Cricket. Monica's a Jiminy Cricket? That's awesome. Well, um, I mean, you know, the Jiminy Cricketist of these people, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, like, uh, after the attack, I, I think she wants out. But I think, um, and, I, and I think she does take that space away from the Duttons. I think that after last season, she was able to have respect for John in the way that I, I think they're, they were, they're both fighting for the same thing. They just have very different ways of doing it. And then one of my favorite relationships with Monica is, is with Beth. So... That's something that I would love to explore more. I, I, we're just about uh, wrapping up here. I just want to say uh, good luck with the season, and I hope I get to talk to you guys more. So, oh, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye bye. And thank you again to Kelsey Asbill for sitting down with Mike from Pod Clubhouse and giving us more insight into Monica's character this season. Looking forward to more interviews this season. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.